good story takes us on a journey. It reminds us of where we've been and shows us where we could go. A good story makes us feel and inspires us to act. Welcome to the Good Story Podcast, where everyday stories that make you laugh, cry, or feel slightly uncomfortable will leave you inspired as Kirsten King tells true stories and teaches truth. ago, I was sitting at a McDonald's working on my lecture notes for a Bible study. I was teaching on the book of James. James was written by the James, who was the brother of Jesus and pastor and leader in the early church, not the one of the 12 disciples, James. Anyway, in this book, James tells us repeatedly that faith without works is dead. It's a super practical book, and it says over and over again, many times and in many ways, your faith should be obvious. Then it includes so many ways that it could be. For example, it says that we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Those are three pretty clear things we can do to show that our faith is real, huh? Our natural selves might want to respond in exactly the opposite way. We might be slow to listen. We might be thinking, oh man, come on, get to the bottom line. A few years ago, I had a friend call me and she was all um, upset about something and she called and I had to get somewhere. So that's like my minor, tiny little point of defense, but I had to get somewhere. But she started telling me the story and she was kind of building up to what was working her up. And as she was talking at one point, I said, can you just get to the bottom line? Now, clearly that was not the best way to respond. And I since have understood that. Anyway, we might be slow to listen. Also, we might be quick to speak. We might not hear what another person says, and instead we might jump in too quickly with what we want to say. Or maybe we're quick to speak, being judgmental or rude, or as we look at somebody and analyze their situation. Or maybe we're quick to speak because we're out of control in our speech. We're just spouting off and spewing at home or whatever. And finally, we might be quick to become angry. Maybe you find yourself patient in some situations, but in others, not so much. Or maybe you're patient with some people, but with others, not so much. At any rate, we need to just kind of check into that and say, huh, why is this? Why am I then quick to become angry in these settings? And then we need to let our faith show in these circumstances instead. James goes on to say that we need to love our neighbors. We need to share with those in need. That makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, if God created all people, it would make sense that we would love the other people he's created. If God created all people, it would make sense that we would share with those who are in need. James says, we can't just believe in God. And then he goes on and says, even the demons do that and shudder. But instead, what we need to do is we need to be sure that our faith in God, our belief in God is accompanied by works that show it. Again, our faith should be obvious. Let me stop for a second here, though, and say that by obvious, he doesn't mean like we need to make sure that lots of people see us doing lots of good things. That would suggest that we're supposed to live like the Pharisees did, the spiritual leaders in the New Testament who always made sure everyone was watching them whenever they gave to the poor or prayed or made some other good choice. Uh, When our twin sons were in second grade, they attended a local K through eight Christian school. And one day, I don't remember actually now if it was an anniversary of some sort or if it was a national day of prayer and they were celebrating or something, but whatever the case was, the local paper came out 
to take pictures of the students in their classrooms. When the photographer came into one of our kids' rooms, that kid, who I'll call Danny, because it was him, when he came into Danny's room, he, they were right in the middle of prayer. The photographer was able to take a super great picture of our son praying. He had his head tilted heavenward. His eyes were closed in prayer, and he just looked so thoughtful. The next day, the paper came out with a big pictures, like five by seven, with Danny praying. I showed it to him, and I asked him, I said, did you know the photographer was even there? He said, yeah, I saw him walk in. I squinted a little and then just kept saying, point that camera my way. Point that camera my way. I did did feel a little funny when everybody told me about how precious that picture was and how Danny was so obviously lost in prayer. We laughed about it then, and honestly, we could understand why our seven or eight-year-old would pray that way. But James wants us to mature out of that. He wants us to get past that, see me doing something that looks good and take a picture of it, put me in the vapor. Instead, when James says our faith should be obvious, he means it just should be evident. If we say we're Christians, we should be living in a way that looks like we're following Christ, not going the other way or meandering around on some random self-serving path. Basically, we need to be asking ourselves, if somebody compiled all the evidence of our life, would they come up with the verdict that we have placed our faith in God and are followers of Christ? Anyway, I got way off course here. So let me get back to where I started here. Years ago, remember, I was teaching from this book and I was writing out lecture notes at McDonald's. All right, let me get back there. I'd gotten to this part where I was going to be teaching on James 1, 9 to 11. This is what that says. It says, let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation, but let the rich boast in his humiliation because he will pass away like a flower of the field for the sun rises and together with the scorching wind dries up the grass. Its flower falls off and its beautiful appearance perishes in the same way. The rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. We take a look at this and at first we're a little bit surprised. It's like, what? What does it mean? The brother of humble circumstances is boasting his exaltation. Shouldn't that be the other way? Why is the rich boasting in his humiliation? What this passage is teaching us is that no matter our circumstances, we need to take a perspective check, an eternal perspective check. James is saying, hey, if you have a little here, be grateful for the treasure that you are storing up in heaven. If you have much here, Be more grateful that you have eternal glory in Christ and you can still find satisfaction in him. Be content in the here and now and treasure eternity. So be content now and treasure eternity. I was writing this down for the teaching while I was sitting in this McDonald's I mentioned. This actually was a McDonald's that I had kind of latched onto as my own. I would call it my office. I'd occasionally text my kids, I'm studying in my office today. Feel free to stop by this afternoon if you'd like a Big Mac. Anyway, I'd meet my friends for lunch here. I did my fantasy football draft here with one of my sons. I mean, why wouldn't you? There's free Wi-Fi. There's good French fries, whatever. Perfect. Anyway, I felt super comfortable. Like it was a home away from home. The other guests that would eat there, they seemed kind of like my friends or at least like people who were eating at my McDonald's. Anyway, this day... I was sitting on one of the high top tables. They had a few of those. And I'm usually super picky about where I sit in restaurants. I don't know why that's a thing, but it is. And I have definitely inflicted one of my kids with this propensity too, if not all of them. Anyway, well, like some people text pictures of their food. I will always text and say, look, got the best seat in the house. 
And it's not like the best seat is like the fancy pants place where, you know, that comes with like privilege or something. It's just like, look, I'm in the front of the restaurant and there's windows on two sides of me and it's in this corner and I have this cozy little view or look, I'm in the back in that one corner booth where you can put a bunch of people and you never feel cramped or whatever. Anyway, this day I got my favorite table at my office. I was perched up on the high top and it was the one that had the comfy, cozy bench seats. There were some that had just hard chairs, but this is the comfy booth bench seats. So I'd finished my lunch at this point. I'd gotten a refill on my pop. And now I was sitting with my computer open in front of me. I've been thinking about this passage in case you forgot what it was. It's James 1, 9 to 11. I read that kind of a long time ago. Anyway, I was thinking about this passage and I was thinking about the person in humble circumstances and the person of great wealth. I was trying to figure out how could I best communicate this idea of being content and living with eternity in view? How could I explain that? Both extremes needed to recognize that God, in his wisdom, has even our circumstances in view and we can trust him with them. I had paused for a bit after I'd written this sentence. Do you ever long to alter your current circumstances? Do you ever feel discontent? Do you ever want what someone else has? And I paused. I was trying to think of an example of this and I kept coming up short. You see, Here's the deal. I have lots of faults, lots of foibles. I can be impatient. I clearly can be slow to listen. I clearly can be quick to speak. I can go on and on. But generally, I find myself pretty content. My kids used to get so irritated when we go around the circle and we were all supposed to say, what's your dream car? And I would say, whatever I happened to be driving at that time. My dream car, Psh, town and country van, obviously, or our Suburban, or my Ford Focus, or now if they ask, it's my Fiat. I didn't long for a different car. I didn't long for a different house. I didn't want what other people had or whatever. So at this point, I was staring off in the distance at McDonald's, trying to think of something. And as I glanced to my right, I noticed a man sitting alone with a tray of food and a large gallon-sized plastic bag at his table. It was sitting on top of his table, and it was full, full of salt and nut rolls. I love salted nut rolls. I love them so much. They're made in St. Paul, where I live, but that's not why I love them. Also, Biddle Honey is made by the same company, and I also love those. But I love salted nut rolls, and I don't know exactly why. Maybe because it's like this mix of sweet and salty together, and they also make it feel like it's not like a completely unhealthy snack that a person could have. Anyway, my mind is wandering. I'm looking at this man. I'm trying to think of my Bible study. But now my focus is on this gallon-sized bag full of salted nut rolls. I have so many questions. I'm thinking, why does he have all of those? Where did he get them? Why does he have them here? Why are they on his table? Why are they in a plastic bag? Why aren't they in their original packaging? Why is he sitting alone? Why does he keep looking out the window? What is he waiting for? I wonder if he'd share those. How can I ask him if they're for sale? I was thinking so many things. I wanted to get up and, and casually stroll by this man so I could get some of my questions answered. But how? How could I make it look more incidental and less stocky to him and to the people around us? Then I thought, I know, I'll refill my pop. Everybody does that. Now, granted, absolutely nobody was watching me at this point. Absolutely nobody was thinking about me. <laughs> nobody else. I am rather sure either was thinking about this man with a bag of candy, but I was. 
So I slid over, I slid off my bench, I hopped to the ground, and I casually strolled over to the pot machine. This looks pretty chill, I'm thinking. I took off the lid, I went over to the pot, I went to refill my cup that was already full, like, there. I put the cover back on, I walked back in a new direction so I could pass by the salted nut roll guy, and I paused by his table, and I said, hey, Looks like you have a lot of salted nut rolls. Now, when I said earlier that nobody was thinking about me or watching me, that was true then. But I got to tell you right now, this was not true. A few people glanced my way. This guy responded, yeah. I pressed him a little bit more. Huh, are, are, are you selling them? A few more people looked over at us and thought, well, well maybe, I was thinking maybe they wanted in on this too. I don't know. Or maybe not. But either way, he said, no. As I look back, I know I totally should have let it go there, but I didn't. <laughs> I wanted to press him a little bit more because, you know, I mentioned how much I like him. Anyway, I persisted. I said, where did you get all of those? He answered, Zubu. I was thinking, I have never heard of that store before. Why do they sell them in those big bags? So I asked him, where's that? He says, it's at the zoo. The zoo with the rides, you can go there. It's safe for everyone. You can dress up in a costume or not, and they'll give everybody candy. I was starting to get a bigger picture of this place. And in fact, I had been to Zubu before and I knew exactly what he was talking about. I looked at him then and I said, so are you selling any of them? Now, I cannot see any of you right now, but I am certain you have your jaw dropped open perhaps. You've maybe done a slow head shake. You maybe have said something inside or out loud like, are you serious right now? Or you did not. Or what? You know how I know that you maybe responded that way? Because that's how everybody was reacting at my McDonald's. He said no again and lifted up the bag. And then he asked if I wanted them all. For a brief moment, I came to my senses and I was like, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no. Thank you, though. And I almost turned and went back to my seat, which is what I should do. But then I thought, well, I mean, if he's offering. So instead, I look back at him and I say, well, well, maybe just one. He opened his bag and he started to take one out. And then he asked me, normal or peanut butter? I was like, wait, what? They make peanut butter ones? How did I not know that? Whoa, I love peanut butter. And I was like, well, okay, how about one of each? So he takes them out, he hands them to me. And then watched with everybody else as I climbed back onto what is now the most uncomfortable seat in the house. I looked around at everyone looking at me. My new salted nut roll friend shouted across the tables between us, well, are you going to try the peanut butter one now? So I opened it up. I took a bite. I told him this is great. And I thanked him as he at that point got up and he left to go get on his bus. And then I looked back at my computer where the cursor had paused. Do you ever want what someone else has? Oh my goodness, <laughs> guilty. <laughs> I started typing furiously. Yes, I'm sure we all have. Why is that bad? Wanting something that the Lord has not given you may keep you from a heart of gratitude and thankfulness. It may stir up discontent. It may, especially if you lost your senses, help you or make you lose perspective. James doesn't say it's evil to have wealth, and Ecclesiastes 5.19 would corroborate that too. Does James say those without money are better off? No, he doesn't say that either. 
And we know that. We know if we live without money, a person could end up living dissatisfied or stealing or focused on the money they don't have. Does he say those with money are better off? No. Those with money could end up wanting more or hoarding or living a life of selfishness or entitlement. Instead, James says, to all of us, these two extremes and all in between, we are all to live in this world holding loosely to the accumulation of stuff and placing our contentment instead on our relationship with God. Paul totally gets this. He totally got it. When he was writing to the Philippians, he wrote about it. And in Philippians 4, verses 12 to 13, we read this. We often read just verse 13, but we need to read it in context to see what Paul was talking about. This is what he said in Philippians. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. Those are those two extremes. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then he says this, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. What can Paul do? He can live with contentment in the midst of his circumstances. What can we do? As we find out and hear this testimony from Paul, we too can live in contentment in all of our circumstances through Jesus who gives us the strength to do so. First Timothy 6, 6 to 10 says the same thing. He says, godliness with contentment is of great gain. And it goes on. We brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we should be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that could plunge people into ruin and destruction. And then he says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Notice it says the love of money, not money itself. Who loves money? Those without it or those with it? We all could, right? It doesn't matter what extreme you are. Here's the deal. You might have a ton of money, but still be discontent. You might be eager for more. You might have very little money and you may have wandered from the faith because you're so fixated and focused on getting more and more. We need to be content. We need to look at the lives that God is writing in us and see them as a good story because he is writing something that is good because he is good. We need to be reminded, as James reminds us, that our life on earth is brief. It's like a flower that blooms and then fades. We can be encouraged that God allows us to make our brief stay here count for eternity as we continue to pursue him and his plans. That's remarkable. We can be grateful that our lives here on earth allows us to be content with who he made us to be and with the tasks he's called us to do. What a great way to show our faith, to make our faith obvious as we walk hand in hand with God, content with where he has called us, content with what he has called us to do.